Hello and welcome to Missed Opportunities presented by Your Little Sisters Productions. I'm Laura. I'm Taya. And tonight we are going to be continuing our Spider-Man saga with Spider-Man 2. This is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man series from the early 2000s. And before we get into it, just to remind you that we do have social media, Facebook and Instagram, Your Little Sisters. We also have a Twitter, YLS underscore productions. And we also are on Patreon. If you look up Taya Joy Flake, you can find our YouTube tier, which we have content coming to soon. And our podcast tier for just $5 a month on either of those. You really help us a lot in being able to get content out to you. And honestly, just your listening support is wonderful. If you're able to, please try and listen to us on Spotify, because that is how we are going to be able to get sponsors with the new, uh, not the new app, it's the same app, but Spotify bought out the app. And so how we get sponsors is through Spotify listeners. So if you or someone you know is able to listen to us on there, that is also a really big help. Yeah, definitely is. And and again, if, if you sign up for Spotify, it's we are free on Spotify. So uh, no worries about that. All free. <laughs> yes, we don't you don't have to pay anything to listen to us on Spotify. And it is a much bigger help than you can imagine to just go and listen to an episode or two on there. And if you have any recommendations for movies or TV shows or other entertainment topics that you would like us to talk about, please go ahead and message us on any of the aforementioned social medias. I look at it at least once a day, except maybe Sundays. I tend to take the day off for that um, just to check and see if we have any messages or comments. So if you leave a message or comment, I should get back to you very shortly. All right, so let's go ahead and dive on in. Um, I did not look up the synopsis of this, so I'm just going to kind of give it a, a try here. <laughs> I'm not very good at doing the, like, synopsis, but we'll try. Um, so uh, this movie starts out, it's Peter. It's the second movie, so we already know that, that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and he's kind of dealing with a lot. We see him kind of struggling with being Spider-Man. He's late to everything. He's getting fired constantly from all of his jobs and he um, is not making rent basically. And he's not going to his classes and he wants to write a paper on Dr. Otto Octavius. uh, Otto Octavius. (laughs) Like Doc Ock, but he doesn't become Doc Ock till later. But um he wants so he's writing a paper about him and he has it's overdue and all he's late to class and he's still in love with Mary Jane and Mary Jane and uh Harry come over to Aunt May's to have a birthday party with him and Harry is still really upset at Peter because Peter uh knows Spider-Man quote unquote like knows Spider-Man and he won't tell Harry who he is so that Harry can get revenge for Spider-Man killing his father and Mary Jane is still kind of uh, upset with him because he has rejected her but they still want to be friends and um, she's in a play and he wants to go see her in the play and ends up again being late and letting her down and so he's just having a really hard time and eventually his powers actually start um, to fail him (laughs) and um, Harry is working with Dr. Um, Octavius. And so they go to this big presentation and of, of Otto Octavius's work and things start going wrong. And this really dangerous element is sucking all of the metal in and kind of creating this little mini black hole, really scary stuff. And of course, Spider-Man stops him, but in, all of the chaos and the, the, um, of this disaster that is happening arms that Dr. Octavius had attached to himself, um, had an inhibitor chip that kept them from getting to his higher brain function. That chip was destroyed. So now he's kind of being controlled by the, um, octopus arms that he has rather than him controlling them. He goes crazy. He kills a bunch of doctors. And now he's a supervillain kind of on the loose who wants to do the experiment again, this time bigger, this time more extreme. And so he's going around and getting everything that he needs. One of the things that he needs 
um, Harry Osborn has. And so Harry is like, hey, you bring me Spider-Man and I will give you this element that you need. So Doc Ock, now he's called Doc Ock, you know, he's evil. Um, he goes and he kidnaps Mary Jane again and threatens Peter and says, you take pictures of Spider-Man. And because Harry told him, like, that's how you find him. Peter Parker will know. He knows Spider-Man. So Doc Ock takes Mary Jane, threatens Peter. Peter kind of gets his, his mojo back and decides to be Spider-Man again and goes and saves Mary Jane. And there's a, there's a couple of things that happen. But basically, Harry finds out that Peter has been lying to him the whole time. Uh, Dr. Octopus gets <laughs> the, the element that he needs he starts uh, building the machine. The machine is, of course, unsteady. Spider-Man saves Mary Jane and um, gets uh, Dr. Octavius back and Lucid. And they and he comes up with a plan to drown the machine in the river before it destroys the city. And they do that. Dr. Octopus dies with the machine, sacrificing himself to save the city from his crazy self. And Mary Jane is saved. She knows that it's Peter now, and she he, Peter explains, this is why we can't be together. And then at the end, she is supposed to be getting married. She leaves the guy at the altar, runs to Peter and says, you know what? It's my decision. I am willing to put up with the danger. So uh, let's be together. And Harry, so, th so they decide to be together. Yay, happy ending for them. But then Harry finds his father's hidden goblin cave where he had all of his backup suits and and bombs and the glider and all that and all the stuff that his father has so now he knows that his father was evil but he's also kind of going crazy because his dad had the gas that made him crazy in that vault and so now harry's just as crazy as his dad but you know so that's a teaser for the next movie and that's basically what happens so I took lots of notes on this movie, not necessarily all bad ones, just commentary and reactions and things. I liked this one better than the first movie. And I liked the first movie. I liked this one better. This one was just a really good rhythm. The acting, I would say, is better in this one. <laughs> 100% the acting is better in this one. I complained in the first Spider-Man podcast review that I didn't like James Franco. He only annoyed me in one scene the entire movie, which in the first movie, he annoyed me in every scene. So I'm expecting the third movie to absolutely love him if this keeps going. <laughs> Yes. Um, so he, yeah, that was actually one of my notes is that James Franco does a lot better in this movie because in the first one, he's just kind of, he's supposed to be sad and like melancholy. And I think James Franco is just not um, built for that kind of role. And in this one, he's like happier because he's like, he's, you know, gung ho. He's the head of Oscorp now. He's the, the backer this guy's gonna win him a nobel prize like he's trying to be like that friendly happy businessman that kind of like what his father's persona was and james franco just does that better uh, i think <laughs> than this tortured soul teenager he was way more pleasant to watch even when he was doing like the sad sultry depressed scenes the only time that I really got bothered by and it wasn't even necessarily his fault it was more the dialogue and the writing's fault is he's like oh my gosh everything is over I've lost so much I've lost everything all I have left is spider-man and it was just like <laughs> it was so like and I don't I mean there's not a whole lot of ways that you can deliver that line, you know, and like be believable. So I don't think it's necessarily his fault, but that was one of the times that I was just like, oh, wow. that. I mean, at least not sober. If you have him drunk, that makes more sense for a drunk person to say. Yeah, no, that was when he was sober. Like he was so he like, have been drunk. <laughs> yeah, and he has a lot of drunk scenes. So it would have made sense then. <laughs> but that was like right after it happened. And it was like, all I have left is Spider-Man. Like, yeah, no, they should have had him be so depressed he got drunk and then say that because that definitely sounds like drunk dialogue to me. Like it would make yeah. sense and they get to the heart of the issue in the way that only people when they're not sober can get to. 
<laughs> at least in movies. I don't not necessarily in real life, but you know, James Franco wasn't the only one who stepped up his game. I thought Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst also stepped up their games majorly from the first movie. Thing I really liked them a lot more. Yeah, I think so too. I think they really connected with the characters a little bit more. I mean, Tobey Maguire did great, and I think a lot of what he brought to the table, especially the the train scenes. Um, yes. That is a very iconic scene. Like, if you look up the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, like, that scene of him stopping the train is um, the one that comes up. And it's, of all three movies, that's the most iconic, I think, is the train. And watching it again, it was always my favorite, like, sequence it, before. But, like, watching it again, I was like, this is so good. I did have some complaints about the people. So, if, like, for reference, so everybody knows. So, he's on the train and fighting Doc Ock, and Doc Ock is winning, basically, but is getting really annoyed, (laughs) and so he ruins the brakes, the train is barreling forward, you know, he makes the train go as fast as possible, the the tracks are going to end, Spider-Man has to let Doc Ock leave so that he can save the people on the train, and he does everything he can, finally just deciding to shoot as many spider webs as he can to the buildings around him and hang on to them and use himself um, basically to stop the train. And when I was watching it, I was really angry at the people because all of the, the different train compartments are connected. So why are the people that are in the first train car not going to the back? <laughs> like, and especially like why like they're just making it heavier and then it goes off of the you know the end of the track it goes off a little bit not far enough to fall but like they're all still standing there watching him and it's like go to the back of the train (laughs) why are you still there and it ends up being good that they do stay because he passes out and is about to fall forward and the people catch him and it's really a beautiful moment that the people realize who he is and that he's just a kid and that he's just out there trying to save them and it's it's a really beautiful moment but (laughs) the whole time that he's like talking to them and they're like do you have any other bright ideas i'm like why are you there like he could like stop the train a lot easier if all the people were in the back and he could like derail the first car or something like <laughs> so like because that's where I don't know it but just, then they wouldn't have the scene of him falling forward and them catching him and lifting yeah. him up and and all of that which I found that to be very emotionally poignant I really liked that scene and him getting the gratitude that he doesn't get very often um, and this doesn't sound like it goes along with it, but it does the scene in the elevator when he has to take the elevator down because he can't use his webs at that moment. And the guy is just talking to him like, nice Spidey suit. He doesn't think he's the real Spider-Man, of course. But he gets the, an opportunity to talk to somebody about related to being Spider-Man. And so he's like, yeah, you know, like, you know it's a little itchy, rides up in the crotch a bit, and it's just kind of awkward. But you can tell that he it was just nice for him to be able to tell somebody, even a little annoyances that don't really matter in the long run about his spider-man suit because when does he doesn't get to talk to anybody about being spider-man this is before anybody else knew who he was and so that scene compared or not compared sorry what's the word i'm looking for combined that's the word i was looking for combined with the scene on the train really shows the struggles i think of anonymity and this movie did such a good job of truly showing the sacrifices that people make. I mean, obviously we don't have people with superpowers going around saving our lives in the real world, but we do have people who do good and who sacrifice to help make us safe or keep us safe or to help others at the expense of themselves. And they don't really always get that thanks and it can feel overbearing or overpowering to try and take that all on by yourself without a support system yeah definitely so that train scene was aunt may which i think aunt may totally knows that he's spider-man by the way (laughs) she's not saying it but i totally think she knows 
and then the scene on the train and then now MJ being able to know he's going to have that support. It's still going to be hard being Spider-Man, but at least now he has someone he can talk, come home and talk to about something that happened Spider-Man related instead of keeping it all. Yeah. And I think that's um, a big theme of superhero movies that a lot of people don't talk about is how isolating it can be to do anything um, that is that you can't talk to, to, to your family about, or you can't talk to trusted people about. Um, and a lot of people I know, like who are in the military or have high government jobs or just any like, like police officers or lawyers who can't talk about their cases or, or things like that. Um, it can be very isolating and it can be very difficult. I love superhero movies for shining a light on that, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, and I think also with the newer Marvel movies, like if you look at the Avengers, their identities were known and they had a support system with each other and with their families because their identities were known almost from the beginning, you know? I mean, with Thor, he only really has superpowers on Earth. Like his powers out where he's from are much more normal. <laughs> so he never went without a support system as far as being a hero or doing stuff like that but and so maybe with the new spider-man with tom holland and everything he tried to keep it a secret for a little while but tony stark knew from pretty early on and he was contacted by him and and so i really liked a lot of the emotional scenes and beats in this movie and i thought they built up to it really well it was a really well told story the only thing i didn't like so much was near the end with the with Doc Ock, how easy it was to convince him to turn back to good. I mean, it might it might have been easier because you know everything was kind of exploding and he could see that it was failing, and he had a soft well, spot for Peter. But it was still like he, it was that his, easy. yeah, like his motivation <laughs> is questioned throughout because so he's a good guy. Right. Like Norman Osborn was not a good person. And then he went crazy. Yes. Um, Otto was a good, a good person. person. And he wanted like when he saw what the, the arms had done to the doctors that were trying to to extract them from his back. When he saw that, he knew that they were monsters. He knew that they were evil and he was about to kill himself in order to stop them. Yes, and- I remember that. And then they took over his mind. And so it was just a matter of, we got to get his mind back. And it was kind of frustrating that Peter didn't understand we got to get his mind back and then do something specifically to do that. It just kind of happened. Like the, they got submerged in water and kind of short circuited a little bit because of the blast from the thing, like from the machine. And it was just kind of luck that it happened. Yeah. rather than something that Peter actually did. So that would be my only complaint was that in, in that scenario of why it was so easy is like Peter didn't actually do anything. He just kind of lucked into it because the guy got blasted back and hit water. Some, something short-circuited the arms a little bit so that Otto had his mind back. And Otto did exactly what he wanted to do in the first place was his wife had died, his experiment had failed, and he wanted to kill the arms because they were evil they had killed a bunch of people and so he was like he just was like okay well they took over me my mind for a little bit but I'm in control now let's let's do exactly what I was going to (laughs) do before except this time I'm like it's more of a sacrifice of himself rather than just straight up suicide um it was definitely more noble in that way but I think what is unsatisfying is the fact that Peter didn't figure it out and then follow through with a plan or something like he just kind of lucked into it. Yeah. But he was having a lot of other things going on at the same time about originally quitting Spider-Man. Not originally, I should say, but quitting Spider-Man for a little while, which I will say I was upset at him not helping that guy being mugged because I was like, you do not have to be Spider-Man to stop a mugging. 
or at least call the police at the very <laughs> least call the police like what that he just walked away and I'm like you can there are still things you can do as not spider-man like you don't have to go into an armed robbery situation he's getting mugged do something <laughs> i thought that was a little like yell for help or something right oh my gosh that one annoyed me like him not going where the police were going and everything not so much because that's very much whatever the danger spider-man is there but the guy getting mugged did not have to that was he should feel guilty about that and i'm sure he does (laughs) but if he doesn't he should i feel bad for him because i was trying to think in the early 2000s what kind of job he could possibly have been able to keep that didn't require him to be at a certain place at a certain time because obviously that's hard for him as Spider-Man and I was thinking you know it would have been a lot easier for him if social media existed the way it does now back then because he could have just been like Spider-Man's official person that posts things about Spider-Man and just um, made money that way from AdSense or something right (laughs) But <laughs> I was legitimately trying to think of ways he could make money. And honestly, being a photographer whose uh, pictures get bought was probably the only thing. But of course, the Bugle would only buy pictures of Spider Man and then defame and say mean things about Spider Man and pay him pennies for it. Mm-hmm. So I just I felt so bad for him. Like, it's so hard. For him to be a working college student and Spider-Man and a good friend. And because at the beginning nobody knew. They just all thought he was flaky or lazy. And you just feel bad for Peter. Throughout the whole movie. And what on earth, Mary Jane? Why do you keep cheating on your boyfriends and fiance? She's not a good girlfriend. But she has what I think a lot of... Uh, books, movies, stories do that make it seem like to make it okay, you know, is they have this, it's true love. Like her true love is Peter. So everybody else that she's with is just like a stand in. And so it's okay if she cheats on them. And it's like, no, that's no, that's still not okay. <laughs> like if you're in love with someone else, then don't, don't, then be alone. Like if, if you are not in love with the person you're with or like, if you're in love specifically in love with someone else, then you shouldn't be with anyone, right? Like if you can't be with the person you love, be alone until you are comfortable choosing another person, you know, like data maybe once or twice, but getting engaged is not, that's not what you do. That's just incredibly cruel to that person. Especially so soon after she was giving Peter all these chances and saying, you know, I like him all this stuff and they didn't even do the thing a lot of movies do this too where the fiance is usually a jerk or a really bad match it's so you don't feel so bad because well they're not really they're that person is a jerk or they're not a good match and you don't want to see them together but this guy was really nice to her and seemed to genuinely care for her and love her and put on a really nice wedding with his parents for her or I mean not just for her he's there too but at no point do you see him I mean, with Harry, you could see that they weren't a very good match. And he still right. felt right. for Harry. I really did. I didn't want her to cheat on him. I don't think that was appropriate. But I was glad they weren't together, even if she wasn't with Peter, because I didn't think that they were good for each other. He had a lot of daddy issues to work through, and she was just not being forthcoming with anything in her life. Like, he didn't even know where she worked, dear heavens. But in this movie, like, what the heck? He, That guy was so nice from the you know two scenes of dialogue we get from him and everything and the scenes where he's with her and she just leaves him at the altar and the only time and he's even supportive of her having a friend who's her best friend who's a guy we see no hint of jealousy from him at that fact because he trusts her and he's like why don't you invite him to the wedding and all you hear her say is oh he's just a big fat jerk next thing you know she's leaving him at the altar for a big fat jerk Right. I think it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want them like he, like she doesn't deserve him because if he came to see her show five times and is proposing to her like a week later, like she, she tell, like she, first of all, is very much hitting on Peter and then is like, I'm seeing someone and he's like, like uh, dating someone like a boyfriend. And she's like, like, I like him. And like that, like, 
letting us know that she's not that serious about him right like that's what that means is like I like if you're not gonna step up I'm gonna move on if you're not gonna step up then I'm gonna move on and that's where she's at is like I'm with somebody who is better than you like who is wants me I'm gonna pursue that if you don't do anything and then like you know next few scenes days later she's engaged her boyfriend was clearly in it you know like he was in love with her planning to propose to her and definitely thought that they were an exclusive couple whereas she is just dipping her toe into getting over years after he rejected her you know so strange and I like Mary Jane in every other aspect or respect to her character except that and I I just I don't I don't like it don't cheat if you're in love with somebody else or you're in a relationship and you have strong enough feelings for somebody else that you want to explore it you don't need to be in a relationship with the person who you don't have feelings for there are ways to be alone (laughs) (laughs) also is Mary Jane ever just alone like I feel as though she needs to be by herself without pining after Peter or dating somebody to try to get over him she just needs some her time on like we don't know how you know how like what she if she dated anybody in the two years how if she was single but she clearly yeah she clearly wasn't like alone and happy you know she was either alone and pining after peter or she was dating someone pining after peter and so yeah she she's not a good relationship role model i would say and i feel like that's kind of true to her in the cartoons because if i remember um her in the cartoons and it's been a while <laughs> i just remember thinking like she was kind of I, promiscuous is the wrong word because but she's kind of like taylor swifty where like she dates around right like she's always in a relationship with someone there's always like a triangle going on with peter you know i i feel like that's true to her character oh and okay while i'm thinking about it just before i forget this is a total tangent um one thing i wanted to say on the last podcast that I completely forgot about is the kiss, the super famous Spider-Man kiss <laughs> that Mary Jane does in the first movie, um, kissing Spider-Man upside down without revealing his identity. She didn't actually do that uh, in the comics and in the cartoons. That was Gwen. Mm, they gave it to Mary Jane. They gave it to Mary Jane. And <laughs> because Gwen was not it, she's, I think she's in the third movie, but like it was so iconic. Like it's actually like the movie poster a lot of the times is, is that yeah. like that scene um they gave it to her because and they gave a lot of Gwen stuff to her because they want you to root for her obviously and in the cartoons that I remember I remember watching it it's not as romantic as it is in the movie with like the rain and stuff and it's kind of messed up a little bit because he's like please don't and she like does it anyway so it's not as romantic as the Mary Chain so it's like they did it better and they did it with the the girl that he ends up with and so like it's better but I just wanted to plug that in that especially coming up to the next movie like it's important that you know that it was Gwen in the in the comics and not Mary Jane uh Anyway, back to what we were talking about before. <laughs> Sorry, I just needed to plug that in and I forgot uh, last time. That was the thing that I couldn't remember to say. So that's what it was, is that Mary Jane stole the kiss from Gwen. Good to know. I did not know that. I don't think I've ever read a Spider-Man comic and the only cartoons I've seen are the more recent ones that are made for really young children because I have a daughter in that age range. And so it's definitely not showing any kisses or anything. <laughs> Because it's Spider-Man and friends when they're all kids themselves. But they have their powers and working together. Okay, there were a lot of small parts in this movie of people from television shows that I knew. I kept going, oh my gosh, it's that person from that one show. (laughs) So it's funny because 
we were talking about, you were talking about community, you were talking about the theme song and had I watched it and, and you would recommend a couple of episodes. My brother really likes that show. And of course that stars Joe McHale and he is the banker <laughs> in that, uh, in this movie. And then I have been rewatching Bones and like, I was literally like on a binge yesterday of watching Bones and I had to turn it off so that I could turn on the like so that I could watch this movie <laughs> for the podcast. And then I was like, hey, there's Bones. <laughs> like, she's the girl that refuses to pay for the pizza. And the fiance who we were just talking about, MJ's fiance, is Elijah from The Vampire Diaries. And he was one of my favorite actors in The Vampire Diaries. I always thought he was one of the better. I liked it when he was on screen. Yeah, he has a good screen presence. He does. And I wish he had more screen time in this movie, but then that would kind of defeat the purpose of everything. And <laughs> the way they did his hair for the wedding, though, was really weird. He did not look attractive, as as attractive, I should say. But they, like, slicked his hair down with the middle part. They're trying to make you side with Mary Jane. Like, we, we don't like this guy. And the only way they can do that is to make him look as bad as possible. <laughs> Which, I mean, he still looks good. The actor is not ugly but it was just weird um also they call him uh, like john jameson like why did his parents call him john jameson they knew his last name they knew it was his gonna stay jameson his whole life and they named him john john jameson but what's his dad's name i don't know james jameson i don't Jay know jameson. <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> At least it's John and not Jay. <laughs> I don't know that that's his dad's name. I just, I think it is. It, it is. Know, that's the character's name. But <laughs> what is Jay? Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. These people. Uh, um, what was I saying? Oh, and then the other character, like we said before, there's a lot of um, people from the Xena and Hercules uh, universe in this movie. Um, Jay Jameson's assistant. Uh, is Joxer. I, I was going to look up what his, the actor's actual name was, um, but he's in this one again. And then Bruce Campbell was the announcer at in the first movie at the wrestling match, and he actually gave Spider-Man his name. Well, Bruce Campbell in this movie is the mean usher that won't let him into Mary Jane's play when he's late. Dang, that guy just lives to destroy Peter Parker. He does. And okay, so I've worked at a theater for a very long time. And why does her show, especially a Broadway show, like a big deal show, not have an intermission where they could seat people? Like right. when he's so late that he was after intermission. I thought like, he was just missed like the first half, maybe half an hour at the absolute most. But yeah, I've also worked at theaters and everything. And there are times when you are allowed to let people in if they're late to the show. And then after a certain time, you're not. But intermission is definitely one of them. It's the halfway point. You miss half the show. But there are times, usually the first act, that you can let people in. And they tell you, you know, usually the house manager contacts the backstage manager. Hey, we got some people. Like, okay, wait for this one part, you know, when we're, the scene is changing, right? We have to change the set or something. So I thought it was really rude, especially after letting him no, hey, your tie is messed up, your shoe is undone. What are you doing here, by the way? Yeah. That well, I'm like, necessarily mean. Right. Like, and if you, if a theater has a policy of not seating after curtain, that's fine. But at intermission, there should be seating, like, because they let everybody out and they let people yeah. back in. And so, as long as you have a ticket, you can get back in. You yeah. know what I mean? He should have seen the second half of the show. Either he was so late. That the guy was talking about like the second act or the second half of the show. It doesn't have to be an act, but like the second half of the show after intermission, which means Peter would have missed it like nearly the entire show anyway. Mm -hmm. But like, and I wonder, like, this is my head canon is that Peter is so uncultured and doesn't know about intermission. And so he went outside and waited rather than going in at intermission and seeing the show the second half of the show like he just didn't know and it was the usher's fault for not explaining right we have a policy where we don't seat because it creates a better ambiance it you know destroys the magic if we're seating people 
but you can go in at intermission. Like, you know what I mean? Like he should have said that or yeah, that's, that's my, it's just Bruce Campbell just has it out for Peter Parker and didn't let him see the second half of his girls play. And then she gets engaged to another guy all because of Bruce Campbell. (laughs) At least because of Bruce Campbell, we don't have him called the human spider. That's true. That's Spider-Man true. sounds a lot better. <laughs> yes, it does. But maybe that's just because we're used to it. Because Stanley, what? It, who? Who's the the Human Torch? Is the only one that is like the human something. something. The Human something. The Human Torch. And Based on the very limited superhuman knowledge from comics, that's as far as I know. There's like the yeah. fantastic, the human torch, invisible girl or woman. I can't remember what they actually call her. Invisible woman. Very on the name. Um, so let us know on any of our social medias, uh, or you can email us at your little sisters productions at gmail.com and let us know if there is any other comics, whether Marvel, DC, or <clears throat> some other smaller publisher that is the human something. Or are we just used to Spider-Man, Superman, Batman? Like, we're just used to that. And so it sounds better. <laughs> or is, like, the Human Torch the only one? Because I don't really like the name of the Human Torch. But if there's others, maybe maybe it's just because we're not used to it. So let us know in any of our social medias or email us. So I also wrote in my notes, and it makes me laugh. And I don't know if it'll make anybody else laugh. I don't know if anybody else will find it funny. But I was writing down reactions and questions and the notes in my notes and the scene where he is you know what am I doing who am I who do I want to be all of that stuff I just wrote for that scene existential crisis Peter so that was my note for that whole part existential (laughs) crisis Peter (laughs) he's just going through it right now that that basically sums up the movie a lot (laughs) this should have been called spider-man 2 existential crisis yes or the existential crisis because that's basically the plot of the movie is him realizing that he doesn't have to be Spider-Man. Like with great power comes great responsibility, but also not at the expense of yourself. <laughs> and he has to find a balance. And his balance at the end of the movie is telling Mary Jane and allowing her to make her own decision rather than I can't be with you because, okay, it's so frustrating at the end when he's like, you understand now why we can't be together. Spider-Man will always have enemies. And it's like, she has been kidnapped like 50 times and nobody knew (laughs) that you were Spider-Man. Like clearly her knowing your identity or dating you doesn't keep her safe because she was at a coffee shop with you as Peter Parker and got kidnapped. Like, it had nothing to do with Spider-Man, <laughs> like the reason why she got kidnapped. It was, re- yeah, so it was frustrating that he, uh, that was his logic at that point. And so the the compromise of the whole movie, the culmination is that he can be a Spider-Man. He can do it all, but he can't do it all. He didn't have to give, yeah, he didn't have to give up Mary Jane in order to be Spider-Man. And, but he did, he, like, he has to give up stuff. Like, he has to give up jobs and he has to, you know, be late to class and stuff. Like, it's a lot harder to be the person that he wants to be and be Spider Man. But he doesn't have to give up everything that he loves, you know? Yeah, which was what he was thinking at first that he would have to give up, not just his life in the event of, you know, if the people on the train hadn't caught him, he, or if the train hadn't stopped in time, he didn't leave. It wasn't like, he got close enough. He's like, whoops, I'm, the train isn't going to stop. And I'm in the front. I'm heading out. He was there at the front of the train, no matter what was going to happen, which is what heroes do. But he had also determined that he had to give up anything that brought him happiness or contentment in his life and to let himself have a bad reputation with people that he respected. So. Right. That It's just so sad. And I found that Doc Ock is such a tragic villain. His wife dies in the first explosion when the fusion project goes wrong. She dies because she doesn't want to leave his side. She's trying to get him out and he was stubborn. 
and didn't want to. And so he has to have that guilt. Oh, and the surgery room scene. I was going to talk about that. That came off like a horror movie scene almost. When the arms were murdering all the doctors and nurses. It was very horror epic. (laughs) It was very PG-13 though. Like, Oh yeah, I say say compared to I say compared to nowadays where, like, if you look at uh, movies that are in the superhero genre but meant to be kind of horror is like, um, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness or whatever it's called, Mm -hmm. that is supposed to be like a cross genre of superhero and horror, and you think about like the blood that it shows or or any of them now like. The violence that we see that's in a PG-13 movie is, like, way worse now than it was then. Because then, like, there's barely any blood. There's no, like, splatter. There's no gross, squishy sounds or anything. It is done very much left to the imagination, which I wish we would go back to, personally, because uh, I don't like seeing those things on screen. We've talked about that before, but I personally would prefer (laughs) this type of scene where it's like scary and horror but also I don't have like horrible images in my head um or like noises that I just are gross and make me really just not want to watch the movie anymore uh so I vote we go back to this little like everything is kind of left up to the imagination but it's still scary like it was still very (laughs) horrorish like um and so I don't know that's my vote but yeah it was kind of weird because it kind of comes out of nowhere I kind of feel like Doc Ock's story and Peter's story are like happening at the same time, but they have, they're not really connecting because like when Peter decides to not be Spider-Man anymore and to quit, like he knows that Doc Ock is still out there, you know, like he doesn't quit like, Oh, I defeated him. And so now I can quit and not have to worry or anything. Like he knows that there is a super, like there hasn't been a super villain for two years and he's just been doing little, you know, like, theft and things like that and stuff like doing little crimes of just regular criminals but now there is an actual super villain again and that's when he decides to quit <laughs> like he knows that he's at large because he had just robbed the bank at that time i think he robbed the bank he had done something no he that was when he like almost dropped um the the grandma <laughs> that's the grandma like and that and like he knew that Doc Ock had not been defeated. He knew that he was still out there. He knew that he was doing stuff and that he was hurting, capable of hurting people, and willing to hurt people. And he was like, "Yeah, I'm just, I'm done. I'm done." <laughs> and well, it's like Harry. Harry gets drunk and slaps him a couple times in public, and then immediately after, Mary Jane is engaged, and he's still not able to hold down a job or go to school. <laughs> like his life in just a night or two gets completely just destroyed and that really it takes a support system a lot of times to help come out of that and he didn't have that and i totally think that aunt may knew he was spider-man from the bank scene on peter wasn't there and then spider-man shows up and then he saves her and she hears his voice and then she gives that speech when she's moving out right she totally knows and she's not telling him but I I'm she knows I don't know if she's in the third movie or not I've never seen the third Spider-Man movie before I've only heard of it so I'm excited to watch it myself but oh also I think and I haven't looked up to verify but I can really fast you'll just lose me for a second I think that the director who directed the Spider-Man movies early 2000s also directed Multiverse of Madness, Sam Raimi, because he's known for doing horror. <laughs> it would make sense. Okay, let me actually look know. at that real fast. I don't know if that's true, but that's funny that I compared them because that's what it made me. That's what that scene made me think of. But one of the other uh... movies, and he directed Multiverse of Madness, and he is apparently a very well-known and well-respected horror movie director oh nice so he did the original the movie, so. yeah same but so he did the original spider-man series and i don't think he did the first doctor strange i don't know maybe he did but he definitely did multiverse of madness and people were actually upset that they didn't marvel didn't give him the green light to do a rate an r rating because they wanted to see his full what he does in his horror films but yeah i don't 
and I know this might make people mad. I don't want, like we've said on the podcast, we don't watch rated R movies. I don't want a rated R superhero movie. <laughs> um, and I and I, I look at like The Boys, which is a TV show about superheroes that I don't watch because I saw um, ads for it and the language that they use and the themes that they had and the violence that they showed. Like, that's just not what the superhero genre is for me like that's not what I'm that's not what I want from it and I don't like I for me the superhero genre has always been about hope like the themes of humanity and I don't like the idea of basing like putting it into reality of like oh this is like this is what would happen is people would die and it would be gross and and these kind of types of things like that's not the, the that's not the Marvel universe. You know what I mean? Like the Marvel universe is like everybody um, rallies together, and in moments of darkness you find the light. And when it seems darkest, that's you know right before the dawn. And those type of themes of you can you need people or you save people because it's the right thing to do, and you don't need praise and and people love to watch a hero fall and and you have to learn to not have to believe those lies that people say about heroes and doing the right thing, even if you don't get praise for it. And like um, with Batman, he was feared mostly and he was a detective and he worked in the night and he didn't want people necessarily praising him for what he did. He wanted justice because of the darkness that he had inside him and so he never really thought of himself as a hero for a long time you know and then you have superman who his entire goal is to be seen and to be a light to people and to be somebody that people can always look up to because he's never going to do anything that he's ashamed of or that people should be ashamed of him for like that's his goal you know like there's so many different ways to make the the genre of superheroes matter and be important and i think that the reason I don't like the boys or why I would not want a Dr. Strange that's rated R is because it's taking away, like, like it's not um, looking at the superhero genre, which is sort of an idolized, not idolized, not perfected, but <laughs> I can't remember though. I can't, I don't, it's on the tip of my tongue, but like basically a world like ours, but better, you know what I mean? Like it's just better because good always wins that type of thing idealized that's what i'm trying to say it's an idealized version of our world where yes bad things happen and we have to deal with them but we can because we have heroes and you know what i mean like it's kind of a been a on trend for the past like decade or so to humanize everything humanize villains humanize here you know bring heroes down bring villains up and lots of gray area and that, and it's really popular right now I feel like it's kind of going out though <laughs> after the pandemic. I feel like people want um, up more uplifting stuff again, but I feel like that was just, it was so on trend that for everybody to be sad and depressed and, and have really emotional scenes that, that I don't think were really true to the genre. But I'm, I mean, a lot of people I'm sure look at superheroes differently and that's kind of what people wanted. People who are asking for an R rated version of, um, Doctor Strange, that's what they're looking for. You know, like they're not looking to the superhero genre. They're looking for the horror genre to be in a popular blockbuster movie. You know what I mean? Like it's not, <laughs> I'm not looking for that, for that, I guess. That was a really long-winded way of saying that I love the superhero genre because it's not rated R, you know, because it's not gore, it's not horror, it's superhero. And it's a better version of our world. And that gives us hope you know <laughs> anyway I will stop talking now um the only other notes sorry the only other notes that I had were like he runs into a burning building again and it's like didn't you learn from the first time like not to do that <laughs> and this time he runs in as Peter he doesn't have his powers and I really like the scene it's another scene where I think they just did the Rainy made the right choices direct directorally where he fall like he tries to jump a hole carrying this girl he throws her up on top and he almost falls and the little girl like 
crawls out of her blanket and tries to help him up. And I thought that was so sweet and so cute that like someone was helping him. And it's just a little, it's like a little um, foreshadowing of the people on the train, you know, like that people do want to help him. People do want to see him succeed. And it's just this little girl. It's just like a little foreshadow of what he's going to learn later. Yeah, no, that was a really sweet scene. And that that definitely is children. She knew she was in danger. That's why she was hiding in the closet and she was scared. But it's also just so second nature to them to see someone in need of help and to try to do so, even if there's a fire going on all around them, because people help them all the time when you're that little, especially to help you tie your shoes and eat and get dressed and brush your teeth. And um, But I really liked that scene, that scene. I'm not going to lie. I got a little emotional thinking about how sweet it was that she was able to help him. And when he heard that someone on the fourth floor died, you know, there's someone else in there. They didn't make it out and everything. I think that was definitely a catalyst to him for him excuse me to realize that being spider-man is something that he wants to do because he if he had been spider-man and following sirens and whatnot he's thinking to himself i could have gone in there and no one would have had to die also i didn't remember i've seen this movie before many many years ago but i didn't remember that he actually told aunt may everything about uncle ben's death the wanting to go win money to buy a car and let a thief get away and that's the thief that ultimately car tries to carjack uncle ben and that's how uncle ben got shot and everything i didn't expect that that was also a very hard-hitting emotional scene and good on aunt may for like reacting the way she did i mean she just kind of silently went away but in the next scene where she sees him she tells him thank you for your honesty and everything and that's that's hard because Ben was her life partner and her husband but she also has raised Peter and she loves him and she also knows that he's so young and who could have predicted that series of events connecting you know (laughs) one other scene um between Harry and Peter is um Otto, or Doc Ock delivers Spider-Man um, to Harry and Harry gives him the stuff that he needs and Harry is about to kill him and he's like let's see who's under the mask first and he pulls uh, Peter's mask off and realizes it's his best friend and he's been lying to him for all this time and Peter wakes up tell, like, and tells Harry like I need like Dr. Ock like I need to find him he, he has Mary Jane or whatever and he's like ready to go and Harry is like obviously distraught because he has been planning vengeance against this person who killed his father and it turns out it's his best friend who he was mad at because he wouldn't tell him who it was and all this stuff anyway so he's like harry is literally staring at him and he says you killed my father like how like how could you do that and peter looks at him and takes a breath like takes a pause and then says there are bigger things than you and me And I'm like, just tell him you didn't kill his father. Like, just say, no, I didn't kill him. I just found him. Or like, no, I didn't kill him. Something happened. I can explain later. But right now we have to, like, we have to stop, you know, Doc Ock. Like, that's all it took. Like, that's all. I didn't kill your father. Like, just say the words. I am Spider-Man. I did not kill your father. He might have felt partially guilty for for his father's death which is funny because there's other people whose death he should feel guilty for and i don't think that norman's is one of those but he might or he might have thought that that would take up too much time and he wouldn't have time i don't know but i agree that that was not the response that was needed in that moment it was more like we'll talk about this later or or at the very least can we talk about this later i promise we will but right now people are in danger like what good is your vengeance if all of new york's going to be dead or half of New York is going to be dead. Um, I also wanted to point out, so Harry finds the secret lair, I suppose, of his dad's Green Goblin before the wedding. And at the wedding for Mary J and her fiancé, John, he's wearing a pointy green bow tie. Mm-hmm. Like, they make a point to show Harry, and he stands up and he turns, and it's like a shiny green bow tie, and it's like pointy on the ends, it's not smooth. And... I thought that was a nice little foreshadow to him kind of embracing or accepting that identity. Yes. 
they do a lot of little subtle things in this movie that I love and, and that they paid attention to just throughout it. But yeah, a lot of really, a lot of really good things. I'm still on the whole, like, just say that you didn't actually kill him. And like, there's, it's complicated, but I didn't kill him. Like, cause, because his last words were don't tell Harry, right? Like that, those were Norman Osborne's last words. Like, don't tell Harry that I was the goblin. And so I get that he doesn't want to say, no, he actually killed himself because he's evil. But you could just say, no, I didn't kill him. Like, I might be responsible for his death. It's complicated. But like, but he like the fact that he takes time to like pause and think about his answer and then say, no, there are bigger things besides you and me. And it's like in the same amount of time, in the same breath, you could have said, I didn't kill him. And so then you could talk about it later, you know, like the third movie. I do know that Harry is one of the villains in the third movie. And so I think that's why we had that choice be made. Yeah. Although they could have still had that choice, the choice of telling him we'll talk about it later, or no, I'm not responsible, and him just say I don't believe you, or just be crazy enough to side with his dad no matter what. He still could have been a villain. Yeah, it wasn't needed. Then he could have just said, "Like I didn't kill him." I agree. That was definitely frustrating. And poor Mary Jane. Well, I did. We did a whole rant on Mary Jane at the beginning of this podcast episode. I did really feel for her emotionally with Peter because he goes from being super distant and not reliable even as a friend to trying to tell her I'm different now when he's not Spider-Man and I can be there for you and all this stuff. And she thinks about it and she's like, you know what? If he's really going to be different and dependable, I'm going to go after him. And then she shows up at the cafe and he's like, nope, I was wrong. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> like you just see her face of how many times am I gonna be yanked back and forth by this dude? Like what the heck? Yeah, I do feel bad for her. I mean, she obviously has a she had a really bad home life in the first movie, so she does clearly not have any good like relationships to like she's got Aunt May and Uncle Ben, but she wasn't really close to Peter <laughs> like in high school she didn't really see their relationship in any way other than the fact that they didn't scream and shout like her parents did. So it's like, she has no good role models for relationships and it shows, you know, like she, she's not great at relationships. She doesn't mind cheating on boyfriends or even fiancés. Like when she's like, I just want to kiss you to see, see something. And she leans forward. They do a full on shot of her engagement ring still on her finger. So, you know, she didn't break up with her fiance and then come down here to profess her love once more to Peter. She's still in get she is wearing the ring at the coffee mm-hmm. date, asking Peter to kiss her. <laughs> no awareness, none whatsoever. And I know at the end she says, when she finds out that Peter is Spider-Man, she's like, I think somehow I always knew. But I thought it was so weird that first she did the upside down kiss with her fiance to test something out. And then she wanted to kiss Peter. And this is before she knows he's Spider-Man. And I was just like, why are you comparing them to Spider-Man? Are you going to switch over to being in love with Spider-Man if neither of their kisses are good enough or something? (laughs) Okay, so I have to tell you. So when these movies came out, when the first movie came out, they kiss at the end of the movie and she thinks about it and it's like, Oh my goodness. Like, like it dings. And it was funny. Cause I saw this movie with a bunch of guys, um, my brother and a bunch of guy friends. I had actually never been kissed at that point, but like, <laughs> they're like, no, a girl couldn't tell a girl couldn't tell. And I was like, yeah, she knows, she knows he's Spider-Man. And they're like, how? And I was like, you can just tell like when when you kiss someone you know and I didn't even like I didn't know that for sure but it's true and I have kissed people since then (laughs) and I can tell you like you could know like you could very much she could have figured it out in that moment and she does figure it out in that moment like she she does but then she obviously like doubts herself because everybody thinks oh yeah I must know the superhero but she doesn't (laughs) and and so when she kisses her fiance upside down it's because she knows that it's Peter and, but she's like, well, maybe it was just the fact that it was upside down. Maybe there's maybe, you know, somebody else could be Spider-Man. And when she kisses him, she, she, she knows, she knows that it's Peter. And then 
that's why she wants to kiss him in the cafe is just to confirm it. So she knows that she's not crazy because she, she has known since she kissed him before that he is Spider-Man. That is like the person she kissed in the alley (laughs) and the other, and, and Peter Parker are the same person, but she needs confirmation of it. And so I, I, that's why I think, because I just remember that <laughs> I was like, no, she knows. And I remember when the second movie came out and she was acting like she didn't know and that I was like, no, she knows. Like, <laughs> I already know she knows. <laughs> like, and then when she, when she tried, so it made perfect sense in my mind that she tries to kiss him at the cafe because she's like, I'm like, yeah, she's getting confirmation right there so that she can tell him through his face that he's a liar and that he is spider-man and she knows he's spider-man <laughs> like that was her intention was to out him as spider-man uh by kissing him and so um it, it always made sense to me just because like i had that conversation with all my guy friends of like yes you do know you know when you kiss somebody and then you uh yeah, like and you kiss somebody else like you know that you can tell them apart basically and you can tell someone's kissing style if they do like the same thing again you can tell that it's them especially if it's someone that you have really you know feelings for so you're uh very much in the moment with them you're gonna know <laughs> and so for me like I don't know sorry it, it just made perfect sense to me that she tried to kiss him in the cafe to confirm that he was spider-man it. I was holding on to it and I was like it's gonna be there and now it's gone dang it I'm trying I'm sorry, to think. I no, I I should have written it down or something while I had the thought in my head, so that I could remember. <laughs> was it about kissing? It was not about kissing, but it reminded me of something I wanted to talk about, and now I'm just trying to go back in my head. Oh, okay. So her fiance's reaction when she tests him out was so. Made me feel so much worse for the guy than before because you don't really know him before all that well, and you still don't know him all that well by the end of the movie. But his reaction to it was like, "Oh wow, I'm back on the movie! Oh, it broke my heart!" And Team John all the way. <laughs> Even if you have to deal with his parents as in-laws forever, I'm Team John. <laughs> Which, by the way, how did his dad raise him? <laughs> like he's an astronaut that played football on the moon. And is just genuinely seems to be a really great, awesome guy. And then you look at his dad, and his dad is constantly just yelling and angry all the time. Yeah, it makes you wonder what the wife is like. <laughs> right? I mean, we know she likes to spend money. That's kind of the thing. Is your wife's on the phone? She can't find the checkbook. And where she's wanting to do this to the house or that, you know. But that doesn't mean that she's yeah. a bad mom or anything. She just likes to spend, or yeah, she well, likes to spend we're also getting it from Jameis's perspective of like, she could be like, you know, very thrifty and he is still, you know, just wants to complain because that's who he is and that's how he works. Yeah. Um, so it's very possible that she's actually incredibly thrifty and kind and he just likes to yell and, and, you know, say bad things about her because like all of his staff seems to be on the wife's side. If you notice, like they're all like, your wife is still in the line. Your wife is looking for this. Your wife, you know, like they're all like on her side. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'd be on her side too if I had him as a boss, like, right. <laughs> um, but I think I am, I'm team John, but I think not for Mary Jane because no, 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 no. she's a bad girlfriend. And the only person she's going to be a good girlfriend to is Peter. Right. Like that's that's the only person that she's ever going to actually be loyal to. So he needs to find a good he can be with like Gwen or whatever. <laughs> like He can find his own good girl uh, to be with. Yes, I I don't think he'll make an appearance in the third movie. There would be no reason for him to. A part of me hopes that we would see him like walking down the street hand in hand with another woman happy. So just so we know <laughs> it turned out OK. <laughs> I liked this movie a lot. I liked it a lot better than the first movie. Um, I've heard a lot about the third movie, so I am very excited to watch it this next week and give my own thoughts and opinions on it. Because I am too. My story, my story with this movie is that um, my brother was gone, and I had seen uh, the first and second movie with my brother, with this particular brother, and he was gone on a mission, and... and um, at that time, he he, uh, he was not able to watch 
TV or at all. So he did not get to watch this movie until he came back. And so I watched it by myself and I thought it was the greatest ever. <laughs> right. Like I was like, it's so good. You're going to love it so much. And he like hated it and <laughs> like was pointing out all of these things that he hated about the third movie. And I did not remember any of those things. <laughs> I like had completely blocked them out. Um, so I'm excited to rewatch it again just to see what I loved about it and what I blocked out because I didn't like it and I just pretended that it wasn't there. <laughs> I'm excited. I I know that emo Peter makes an appearance. So yeah, that was one of the things I blocked out. I completely forgot about that. Like I just was like wait that happens that's <laughs> this movie I don't remember that <laughs> like so it's and it's like all, yeah it's like the most iconic thing that people meme about this movie or like that any of the scenes that you see from this movie are him being emo and it's literally such a short time in the movie that I completely forgot about it and I was like why is everybody making a big deal about this and it was like oh it is that bad that I blocked it out like I don't remember <laughs> Your memory was, your brain was protecting your memory. Yes. <laughs> so we have Spider-Man 1, and then we have Spider-Man 2, Existential Crisis Peter, and then Spider-Man 3, Emo Peter. I don't want the movie to be known for that. I really just <laughs> want the movie to be known for like all of the good things that happened. And I won't, I won't spoil anything more, because I know you've heard that. Anyway, so... I don't want to ruin the third movie or anything, but there was really good moments in the third movie. So hopefully they shine brighter than the emo Peter. So. No, I think that's everything I have for Spider-Man 2. And if there's anything we missed, we can always bring it up in Spider-Man 3. Well, uh, thank you very much. Again, you can find us on our social medias, which is uh, Facebook and Instagram, Your Little Sisters Productions, or t- you can tweet us at YLS underscore productions. And you can also uh, support us on patreon.com slash And you can find us on our YouTube channel, Your Little Sisters Productions. And you, if you have any questions or if you would like to uh, suggest anything for us, uh, you can, or if you have any questions, you can email us at yourlittlesistersproductions at gmail.com. Um, I think that's everything. So I'm Taya. I'm Laura. Bye. Bye.